following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, I am really thrilled to introduce to you today's guest speaker, which is my friend, Pastor Don Sheever. Don is the pastor of Dust Church in Toledo, Ohio, and the co-host of the very popular podcast, Evangibros. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, I will try to be very brief because what, you, what he has to say to you is much more interesting than what I have to say to you, but I do want to honor Don and say to you that um, Don is a, not only a brilliant student of the Bible, but um, a brilliant teacher of the Bible whose love for the text is contagious and who is not only um, smart but also very um, pastoral. And that to me is a really admirable combination because it's one that frankly you don't see terribly often. And so, uh, thank you. Would you welcome Don Sheever to Artisan Church? Thank you. Uh, as Scott mentioned, the uh, fabulously popular Evangibros, I shared in the first uh, service that uh, Rochester is actually the second leading city of listeners, uh, with five. Um, and I've logged on three times since I've been here. <laughs> So, uh, but thank you guys for having me. Um, this feels like home away from home for me because of my relationship with Scott and with many of you. Uh, so uh, just thank you for letting me be here. Uh, one thing to get on this table immediately with you is that I like to ask questions and I like to ask questions and get your responses. So when I ask something, it's not rhetorical. Uh, I'd really love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I believe very deeply that collective wisdom is way more significant than individual wisdom. So, uh, so feel free to participate um, as, as much as you want, and feel free to even interrupt if you want a clarification of something. So how many of you are familiar with the passage in Philippians where it says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling? So, here's your first question. Ready? What has that meant to you? How have you heard that when, uh, when someone says that? If someone, uh, especially if it's quoted at you, right? Uh, which feels very different than talked about with you. Uh, so, what is that, how does that feel? Like, what does that carry with it? Any thoughts? It feels like the stakes are high. If you mess up, it's not good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely the stakes are high. Yep. Anybody else? It's scary. It's scary. Yeah, absolutely. For me, the fear and trembling part of that is always with humility. Fear and trembling with humility. So do you mind? Uh, just being very conscious of the fact that you're we're fallible. Um, and it's okay. Let's okay. have a lot of patience with ourselves. Yeah. Um, to do that knowing that uh, God has what's best in mind for we walk off. Sure, so that we're fallible and have a realistic view of ourself. Uh, and yeah, excellent. Anybody else? I, just, I have a comment. Yes, please. That if people that aren't um, knowledgeable about the rest of the Bible, uh-huh. that can like just like turn them off because they don't understand yeah. what fear and trembling means. Sure, and I'm speaking in a church, so I assume that you aren't all that familiar with the Bible. Oh, <laughs> just, just joking. Not really. Did you have something? Um, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but um, 
it's not only got that element of like being afraid while you're trying to figure out what's going on, but like you got to do it by yourself. Too. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. What about someone were to say to you, because I always find this interesting, if someone walks up to me and, and especially if they begin the conversation this way, but if they say, are you saved? Like, how does that feel? What is that? Like, what's, what is going on there? Right? Yes. The initial answer is yes, and the second answer is, what do you mean by that? There you go. Fair enough. Uh, So he said the first, I realized that I wasn't repeating stuff, and I was chastised greatly in between because your podcast is going to be messed up. And frankly, I don't want you to beat up my podcast, so I don't know if I'm going to repeat anything. Scott, so take that, Mr. Cranfield. I see your head up there. Wow, this is out of context completely for anyone listening, and so you're going to have to edit now, too. This is fantastic. I love this power. Um, so, saved. What does it mean when someone says to you, yes, please? I edit the podcast, so you can... <laughs> Dang it! Ken, I'm sorry. No, you're not. I really am not. No, no if we're going to have four listeners after I leave today, <laughs> just lost a listener... All right, so what else, what else do you feel? Yes, please. So the, are you saved, it's an analogy almost to the dog whistle type language. It's, it's a code word. It's are you in or are you out? Right. Are you on my side or are you not? Right, yeah, so when someone asks you that, it's this coded language of clear parameters or which side of the fence do you stand on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes? It might just be my specific disability experience, but usually when people ask me if I'm saved, the next step is... Well, if you were, then you might be healed. Oh, yes. Yes, so sometimes that is played off of uh, people make uh, a decision about you, and so when they ask you that question, it's a leading question to the next one, which is something about healing or correcting something about you. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It rarely feels good. Like, how many of you, if someone walked up and said, are you saved, that you were like, oh, man, I am so glad you asked me that today. (laughs) I was wondering if anyone was going to do that today. Um, so, so let me talk to you a little bit about that Philippians passage, right? So in that Philippians passage, there's two main pieces to it. It's work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And so uh, I want to leave the work out your salvation for a moment and talk about that fear and trembling piece. Uh, so my expertise, if you could call it that, is in Second Temple Judaism. And one of the rabbinic processes for studying scripture is that you look at the first time a phrase is used in the Bible, and then that way of being used ends up then defining that word or that phrase for the rest of the times that you read it. Okay? And so the first time, does anyone want to take a stab at it? The first time that the phrase fear and trembling is used in the Bible. Yes? Is it uh, used with Moses and the Israelites after the, the Ten Commandments were given? Weren't you in the first service? <laughs> <laughs> I clearly am not good at this. Have a nice day. <laughs> it is not. It is earlier than that, but great guess. That's a good guess. So uh, it is not in the Exodus narrative. So let's just say it's not in Exodus. <laughs> Genesis. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Anyone think that they can narrow it down? Now no one else is brave after I chastised you. <laughs> this is why I'm not good at this. All right. So, yes. After Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit and hiding from God, 
It is after that, but it's not in that story. <laughs> it's fair. Anyone else? One last guess? All right. It's actually post-flood, and God says, now the animals will live in fear and trembling of you. Okay? So let's think about this, because as I like to say, it's not that we all of a sudden became puppy kickers that we weren't before the flood, and now after the flood, we're just kicking puppies, right? And that's why they're afraid of us. So what do you think it is that makes uh, this statement uh, be true? What do you think it is? What's, what's fundamentally changed in the relationship between humanity and the animals? And I'll give you a quick hint. It's not that in that same text that says, and now you may eat them. <laughs> it's not that part. Uh, although, you know, frankly, that is a little scary, I think. But what do you think has fundamentally shifted? Why would animals live in fear and trembling of humanity now? Yes? Excellent. If you hand out stars, that, that's a star. <laughs> yes, so absolutely. So, so whose fault was the flood? Humanities, right? And so the livelihood, the ability to thrive and flourish is now dependent on humanity's greed, selfishness, and behavior. Sound familiar at all to our current situation in the climate of the world about whether or not animals are dependent on our own greed and selfishness of whether or not they'll survive the next century, Right? And so here is this fear and trembling that the animals have to have, that in some way their very existence is going to be within the hands of humanity. So now if we add that picture to the Philippians passage, that you are to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, we're starting to draw the picture a little bit, right? And maybe it doesn't necessarily feel any better yet. I hope we get to where it feels better. Um, So... The word for uh, salvation in this passage is soterios, okay? And soterios is a word that oftentimes gets translated as deliverance, right? Which we're okay with, deliverance, salvation, we're good with those two things. And this is a creaky stool. Uh, And so soterios is this picture of deliverance, but the first time it is used, that Greek word is used in the Septuagint, it is used in the passage about Isaac digging wells, And when Isaac is digging wells, it talks about that he will go out from that land uh, in peace. So what is the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. So the very first time that we see the Greek word soterios used to translate a word in in the Hebrew Bible to Greek is taking the word shalom and turning it into salvation or deliverance. And so this begins to change things, right? Because now if we read Paul and we say, work out your shalom in fear and trembling, that seems almost counterintuitive. Work out your peace in fear and trembling. Like those two things seem almost oil and water, right? So let me add another piece, all right? I realize that we're stacking a lot of pieces here and I hopefully we, we get to the place where this begins to make a little more sense. That Greek word... In almost every translation, I would say every translation I found of the Septuagint, it has been decided by the translators to translate that word soterios in that moment as safely. 
And so this idea is safety. So we can imagine salvation, save, safe, those are all within one realm. And so Tyrios comes from this place of shalom and safety, peacefulness and safety. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience growing up in the church is that we've done a really good job, particularly the more white and the more suburban your church is, the more likely you are to make the gospel spiritual and not physical, right? We're more likely to talk about a, uh, everything we talk about from scripture is all about a spiritual or heartfelt thing as opposed to a physicality of something. But in the Bible, the people, first readers and listeners of it, they lived in an oppressed culture, and they were in danger, and so much of this had a physicality of it, right? And so to be saved in the Bible was to actually be rescued or to be uh, physically saved from a situation. You and I, when we talk about are you saved, no one mentioned anything about physicality when we talked about it earlier, right? But imagine if we shifted this and actually started to apply that physicality to the text. And with the salvation, the working out your safety in fear and trembling. Right? So I want to, before we, I go a little bit further with that, any thoughts about that so far? When we shift this to thinking about and discussing that Paul is saying, and by the way, the your there is plural. So I know you uh, mentioned that it felt very individualistic. It felt very like it's all on me. But it's actually you. Uh, I don't know what you say in... Uh, in Rochester, I grew up in eastern Pennsylvania, so it was Yins. Uh, in Ohio, and Toledo, where I live now, it's y'all. Uh, so what is it here? Use guys. Use guys. No, that's your speaker next week. Uh, he's coming from New York. Uh, so, what, so in this picture, how does it begin to fundamentally shift? If it's, if it's you, plural, are to work out your safety in fear and trembling. What does that mean? How does that begin to shift things for you? Any ideas or thoughts? Well, the idea that it is holistic is, takes the spotlight off from me and mm-hmm. makes me think that I need to help. We need to work on this together. Yeah, excellent. Anybody else? I'm sorry. She said that it takes the individual... And, and makes it holistic, and so we're doing this together, yeah. Anybody else? Yes. There's an aspect of those of us that have safety need to work to bring safety shalom to those that don't. Excellent. I owe you five bucks. That was a great response. Another gold star. I'm sorry, I guess I owe you five dollars too. I don't want to diminish your answer. Uh, so, so right, so this idea that those of us who already experience safety we are responsible in some way to cultivate spaces that are safe. So when I planted my church in Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, where Virginia Tech is, that's where my spouse was doing her PhD, uh, our church and all of our leadership went to Virginia Tech and took safe space training. And in doing so, it had a couple effects. One, we were the only place not on the campus of Virginia Tech that was considered a safe space in Blacksburg, which is kind of startling and scary, but... That's what it was. But you can imagine a church in the south, because we were, that's, if you know where Blacksburg is, it's very southern Virginia. What do you imagine was the result of a new church plant that did safe space training in a very conservative southern place 
in Virginia. And I'm not, I, I realize I'm making blanket statements. I hope I don't offend anyone by that. But can you imagine what some of the responses were? Any guesses? Not great. Not great. Fair. First of all, we couldn't find a place to rent. Uh, and no churches would let us meet in their facility. Yes? Just to clarify, the LGBTQ alliance. Primarily, uh, but Safe Space also covers, uh, so it's, it's, it's about LGBTQ inclusion, but it's also about uh, racial inclusion, uh, disability, everything, right? So, but obviously, it, mostly focused on LGBT as part of the reason that we were not actually any longer welcome in a lot of spaces. And so this picture is similar to this working out safety in fear and trembling. Think about, uh, Ken, you were talking about in the first service about how uh, the, the shooting in Aurora, Illinois, and there were officers who ran into that setting, right, to do what? What was ultimately their goal? Safety. Safety. But they ran into danger to create safety, right? And when we think about this, we've often heard in a setting like that, you should have a level of fear, right? That it's actually healthy to have a level of fear if you are a rescue worker or you are a fire person, fireman, or, you know, whatever it might be, a postal worker around my dog. Uh, and so, like, that you should have a certain level of healthy fear so you actually function well, and so there's this picture of safety where they actually were working out your safety in fear and trembling. Do you see that? It raises your adrenaline flow. It, well, not mine, because my adrenaline gland I mean, doesn't work, and that's pretty, I'm, I'm upset I mean, about if that. If you run into a place like that, yes. you, and the fear actually raises your adrenaline. Sure. And helps you function more like acutely. Yeah. Sure, yep. And so this picture, though, is that, that of we are called in some way. Paul is speaking to a people that he's saying that you need to work out the safety of the community by doing what? Putting your own safety on hold. <clears throat> That's powerful. Like, when we think about Rome and Jesus' day, we imagine that there's one cross on a hill, maybe three if you've read the story, and that's it. But the roads in Jesus' day were lined with people being crucified. It was a daily reminder that Israel and any other people that were not Roman were second-class citizens. And they hung people out there and let them die in the heat and let the animals come and pick away at them to remind people of their absolute, what their place was in culture. And yet you have this group of people who Jesus and Paul are talking to and saying, your role in this world is to carve out places of safety. Think about how powerful that is. How does that fundamentally begin to change the function of the church when the church's role is to stand in the margins, to put ourselves at risk in order to create a safe space for others? That we are called to be that, that officer, that rescue worker that runs into the fire in order to pull people out. That that's actually our role. The physicality of the gospel is that we 
actually stand between the violence and the oppression in order to carve out safe spaces. So what are your thoughts? Any thoughts about that so far? Yes. The, uh, the symbol of the ark really stands out to me as you talk about this, that one is saved not so much by what is going on inside the person, but whether that person is inside the ark mm. and whether we as communities of faith can be that ark mm. of safety for people. Yeah, can we be that ark of safety? Absolutely, absolutely. Any other? Yes, please. It makes me think of that question that you asked in the beginning of are you safe, switching that narrative to are you safe? Is there yes. much more open space for somebody to share with you and it comes from a, a space of of listening versus telling, and it comes from the space of service versus teaching, yes. and so it's a, a switch. Yeah, so uh, what she said was that it, it changes that phrase of are you saved to are you safe. I, and I have to say that's, that to me, I mean, do you all agree that feels completely different? If someone walked up to you and said, are you safe? Like, I, I immediately, that, that changes everything. And honestly, I think it might be harder for me to answer, right? It, it should be harder for us to answer, right? right? Like if we're truly reflective, am I really safe? Um, is that part of who I am? So thank you. Anybody else? And changing it to are you safe makes it a process. I mean, like the working out your salvation. It's a process. It's not a binary. Saved is a Correct. thing that happened. Yes. Safe is a statement of being. And it's and ongoing. It's totally you, you, right. It doesn't end. There's not a moment and then boom. There's a process. I mean, the amount of times in the last decade that I've had to change my language uh, as language has evolved, uh, not because of being a, a snowflake, but because of instead wanting to honor the people around me, right? That, that is constantly something working out of me. Did you ask me? Well, are you safe has sort of a double meaning, like are you a safe person for others to come to, but also like are you experiencing safety? Beautiful. Yes. So if you didn't hear that, it has that dual meaning of are you safe for me to talk to you because I need somebody that's safe? Or also, do you feel safe? Right? That's a powerful question in the church, right? How comfortable would you feel, like instead of passing the peace, you pass the safety, right? That you, you in some way said, are you safe? Do you feel safe in this space? And then engaging that in a very meaningful and powerful way of like, well, then how do I stand in the margins and put my safety at risk in order that you can be safer? Yes. Also feeling that physicality has a sense of the here and now and the here on earth rather than some far away future no never land. Yes. That, that's more about our work. It's more about what we should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. So then the safety is like now. Like you can't like talk about a future safety, right? Like that does nobody any good. Like, hey, we'll, we're going to fix that, uh, that thing that keeps injuring people. We'll get to it. Right? Instead, it's like right now, we need to do it right now. Yes, Scott. Uh, I, th I think a lot of times people associate the phrase safe space, particularly in a campus context, mm -hmm. with, and I think that is sometimes uh, lampooned. Sure. You know, probably unfairly, but as um, 
we're going to keep you in a space where you never have to hear anything that offends you. Oh, so, correct. So, yeah. Could you comment on, on that? that usage of that language or understanding of that phrase and how it might apply to the church? Okay, so the question is how, how do we create a space that's safe that isn't necessarily like just a lot of people perceive that to be that you'll be coddled and you'll never hear anything that offends you. Um, well, first of all, just uh, in being in relationships with other human beings, you're going to run into things that are offensive. Uh, the difference is uh, whether or not the offensiveness is welcomed uh, right, that there's room to have uh, something be said that is harmful or unhealthy or even just kind of on that edge that you're like, I don't really know, uh, and, and help shape it and move it towards something that's, that's an understanding of uh, why do I care about the way I speak? Why do I care about the way I behave? Why do I care about the way I engage others? And if you can shift it to uh, the, the deeper rooted thing away from just the words to what is the, the reasoning that we function this way, I think then you can, there's a lot bigger gap um, to let people be engaged. Uh, but I want to say one quick thing as an aside to that. Um, I've often heard that you know, if your safe space isn't tolerant to uh, those who are intolerant, then it's not tolerance, and that's just not true. Uh, we are very intolerant to intolerance in my church. Um, you're welcome if you are intolerant, uh, if your intolerance doesn't create danger for anyone in our space. Right? Um, so it's a little bit of a more complicated situation. But any other thoughts? Yes, in all the way to the back. I, what I Yes. Way better said than I said it. So safety is, it's not to be conflated with comfort. It's not the same thing. So let me say something real quick here. Um, when one of the problems I think the church has is that we actually offer conversion, but not salvation. Right? Uh, we love converts. Right? But we're not good at the salvation piece. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus mentions one time in the text about converts, and what does Jesus say about them? Does anybody know? Yes. Yes. So Jesus says, uh, he says, you go across the sea to make a single convert in order to make them twice the sons of hell as you. <laughs> right? That, that is the church. Uh, right? Like, and, and the problem is, is because we extend conversion to people 
but not salvation. We've actually withheld salvation in many ways. You pass a homeless person and you determine whether or not they are worthy of your $2 sitting in your change jar because you're their moral agent all of a sudden. Because God asked that of you, right? Um, And so all of a sudden, you determine their worthiness and their value and you're determining whether or not their worthiness and value has anything to do with their safety, right? And all of a sudden, this begins to to affect because we're more interested in conversions than salvation. Um, And that's really significant because if the church was not concerned about conversion but continually to spread and uh, move the circle out further and further of creating safety for people, that would be way more impactful on the world than having a whole bunch of twice the sons of hell as you. Not you, singular, you plural, clearly. Uh, so <laughs> it didn't work either way. <laughs> um, but this, this is important for us, right? So, so what do you think? So I think about you. I'm sorry, Kristen. Yes. <laughs> She's a 10. Uh, so Kristen, you mentioned something so important earlier as being a teacher, right? That the safety of the kids is in jeopardy while you're not there with them, right? And not not just you, but the school. And you, as a teacher, work out your salvation daily for those children. Like, think about that. In our role, whether it be a school teacher who stands and wants more than anything for those young students to feel safe, like, that's you, Paul's talking to you, and I'm sure there's uncomfortable moments and stuff. And so in that, Paul is speaking to you, and how is it that Kristen... (laughs) Kristen, we're just going to talk. How is it that you are actually creating safety for these kids, right? That this picture, we, we immediately go to evangelism, but I'm telling you, when Paul's talking about us working out our salvation... Paul is wondering, how are you when I'm not standing here, right? Because that's the rest of the passage. When I'm absent, what are you doing to continue to make this city where people are oppressed, people are being slaughtered, people are being marginalized, people are being whatever? What are you doing to create safety? And I am, and Paul's like, and I am blessed that you continue to work towards safety in your community, even when I'm not present. Like, what does that mean for you? What does it look like in Rochester for Artisan to be the community that Paul would write to you and said, to the community that has worked out their salvation in fear and trembling? What would that look like in Rochester for you to be a community that is constantly fighting and striving not to convert people, but to create space that someone can feel loved, someone can feel heard, someone can feel present, someone can feel full, someone can feel accepted, all of those things. That is the picture of salvation. When I think about Jesus, Jesus does the greatest demonstration of putting his own safety on the line in order to create safety. And his apostles all did the same thing as they were all martyred. They were all willing to die in order that others could feel safe. 
when we talk about it in that way, it seems so much more worthwhile. All right, so that's it. But I want to hear if you have any questions or if you want me to clarify. What, what are you thinking about? How does that affect you, if at all? And if it doesn't, that's okay. It's quicker to lunch. <laughs> yes? I, the one thing that keeps coming back to me is when you were talking about peace and shalom. Yeah. I understand the word of shalom to mean wholeness. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it's all, that's the goal. Yeah, you can't have wholeness without safety. Yeah, absolutely. I've been struck with the thought of each community of faith being like an outpost or a colony of heaven, so that wherever God's people are, it's a foretaste of what heaven is like in terms of inclusion, celebration, safety, ultimate safety. So it's not that we're so much trying to get people to go to heaven, but we're having heaven come here yes. in the locations where we live and move. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, that heaven becomes these pockets around the world. Yes, please. Um, to me, it means that fear is trembling is no longer something to be feared. Yes. <laughs> but something to be embraced because it's part of that salvation passage. Absolutely. I mean, have you ever had a moment where you overheard something or you witnessed something and you stepped in and you're a little nervous about stepping in, but you stepped in and either stopped an argument or a fight or a conflict of some sort and you walked away feeling like I actually did something of value today, whether it be you picket something, uh, like you, you attend and you're an activist in some way or that there's actually physically something happening that you step in between. Like that moment that you put your own safety at risk in order to create and cultivate more safety is, it gets rid of that fear and trembling. Yeah. Yes. I'm thinking about a a tension that we haven't addressed in this community uh, that we're trying to figure out how to address, I think, in um, forming a relationship with a a local African-American church in a city that racism is still a major, major issue. Yeah. Trying to help walk with them to find safety for people of color. And we heard a couple of weeks ago from one of our uh, community members here, Penny, who is uh, a transgender person who is not welcomed by that community right. in any way, shape, or form. And how do we hold those things in tension and create safety and help extend safety when those two communities' definitions of safety are so different and in some ways in conflict? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a complication when two communities are in need of safety and to make one feel safe might put the other at risk in some way. Uh, Clearly, that is a deep and complicated thing, right? I always say that if you can reduce your your expression of Christianity to a bumper sticker, uh, you either have a humongous bumper, (laughs) no judgment, uh, or, or it's too easy. Your Christianity is too easy. Creating safe space is hard. It is diligent work. It is, it is an effort to do it. It is complicated. It's not just simple to say, yes, I'm safe. You have to demonstrate it. You have to live it. You have to navigate really complicated things in order to do it well. Um, so I don't have an answer for you. Uh, I would just encourage you to uh, continue to flesh it out. Yes? 
Yeah, I think absolutely putting a name, naming uh, or putting a face or a personhood to something is really, really significant. Yes, please. That's an absolutely wonderful question. Scott, I know I'm a couple minutes past time, but I would love to address it because I think that's such a significant question. So the question is, the church clearly doesn't function this way. And if the church did function this way earlier on and isn't now, why? Is that a fair? um, So I would say power and privilege, right? The more that when we say theology, like I love theology, we actually mean white theology, um, just white people aren't used to hearing uh, that used before anything. Uh, and so, like, I mentioned white music at something I was at, and the musician was offended, and the musician was white, and it was written by white people, and I was like, I thought, I, it's, it is white music. Um, but I think that's part of it, right, is that power, if you're in power, you don't really feel unsafe about a whole lot of things. And so clearly salvation isn't about safety if you're in power and privilege. It's got to be spiritual. And so when, the, when Constantine made Christianity a state religion of Rome, all of a sudden the power and privileged were the ones that were professing this. Well, safety wasn't any concern. They had the best military behind them. Uh, so they weren't worried about safety. Uh, and so it had to mean something else other than safety. And the church is, is, has continued that. Right? Um, but if you still go to any communities, any churches that are in a community where they face oppression for some reason, you're still going to have this expression of salvation where they will envelop the, the people there to create safe places, whether that be uh, at times like uh, I think about the Freedom Riders or I think about the Underground Railroad or I think about uh, any of these moments or even like after 9-11 when there was lots of people surrounding mosques to protect them, right? This picture that when there becomes a moment that the power is shifted in some way, you actually see Christianity function in safety and concerned about safety. The problem is we go back to our suburbs, we go back to our power and privilege, and we no longer have to be concerned about it. For most of the people in this room, even if you happen to be in the queer community, you often still function in power and privilege over a lot of other people, right? Um, And... I'm not diminishing that because the struggles are difficult and complicated. But, uh, and so you're able to kind of disappear back into comfort. Uh, But there's a lot of communities that can't disappear into comfort. They live in fear and trembling all the time. And it's not because anyone is working out their safety. It's because no one is working out their safety. Um, So I I hope that answered uh, in some way. I was very oversimplified, but... 
All right, well, let me, let me pray over you. Uh, I'm not really good at application. I would rather just talk about it and then let you have to wrestle with it, and then I'm going to go home. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, but uh, I really want you to wrestle with what it means for artisan to be a perpetuator of safeness. Wouldn't that be great if that's how you were known? Uh, let me pray. Lord, you are, you are good. The fact that you desire that nobody should perish should have been a tip-off to us that you desired the safety of all. Lord, I pray that you forgive us for our selfishness, that you forgive us for uh, not putting ourselves at risk in order to create safety for others. Lord, may this community become a community that works diligently to cultivate space that others can feel safe in. May this be a community that doesn't look for converts, but looks for salvation. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I give you all the glory. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com. 